Boss! 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 Welcome into a At the Buzzer Ralph Report podcast, an extra special one. We say it's special when we bring in guests, but it's an extra special one we can bring in a guest like this. Uh, this is a CU Athletics podcast for the Ralph Report, obviously, and I'm Jack, and over there is Sam, your two normal, boring co-hosts. Um, but today we have an extra special, super fun, and actually, like, really informative co-host. We have Adam Munster-Tiger from buffstampede.com joining us. Welcome, Adam. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, it it's about time you guys invited me on here, and then <laughs> I, I get the stomach flu. I'm, I'm a juror in a criminal trial, and so we had to reschedule a couple times, so I appreciate your uh, your patience with me as, as we try to get this lined up. Yeah, you, you know, know it's hard to get upset when you were saying like, oh, we're going to have to reschedule because everything you were rescheduling for was just like, <laughs> man, <laughs> that's tough. Adam, we could have been on the same jury, but I got jury duty and I forgot to go. And, uh, <laughs> what, what was the penalty for, for not showing up for that? Do you, have uh, well, to do, do you have to clean up trash by the, by the freeway or what's the uh, deal? you can, there can be community service that you could get arrested, but uh, I emailed them and then they rescheduled me. So I'm, okay. I, oh. I, I, I scraped by. I will say it's one of the best experiences I've had in my life. It was pretty intense. I definitely paid more attention mm. during this trial than I ever did in school. And yeah, <laughs> you, you kind of go in on that Monday morning and wanting to get out of it. And then you get in the courtroom and you start hearing about a case that involves uh, a drug ring that's linked up with, with a cartel. And Whoa, it, it, was kinda, it was it was kind of like the wire meets Breaking Bad. And so it was really, <laughs> really interesting. And I was just fortunate. Uh, my biggest stress during the whole thing was I want to feel definitively one way or the other. And uh, th- this guy was definitely guilty. So th- that helps <laughs> just not have having that stress, you know, hanging over you. Jeez. Dude, that sounds cool. I, I, I mean, I'm hoping I get selected. It sounds fun. Yeah, I was incredulous when you said you were riveted, but when you say it's a cross between like the two best shows ever, I yeah, okay, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, I, we were I, listening to uh, wiretaps for like a bulk of the four days of the trial. Whoa. It was really interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah, I, I was thinking of you too. I know they just um, this is not a political sub uh sub wow podcast at all, but um, I was just thinking about you because I saw they just just starting picking the jury for for Donald Trump's criminal trial in New York. And that's like, that's going to be like an eight month or that's like, you're going to be able to not join a podcast for a year if you're picked on that jury. So, yeah, the yeah. crazy thing is, too, is when you're on a jury, you're not allowed to talk to anybody about the trial until it's done, mm-hmm. until your deliberations with the other jurors. And so we're all waiting around. You, you have to wait around a lot. The judge is having to do things with the, the lawyers and, and there's a lot of paperwork that goes on that we're not privy to. And you're just sitting in this room, just almost bursting at the seams to try to talk about this. So no, yeah. I, I do, I do encourage anybody. Yeah. I, I don't think I'd want to be on a trial any longer than a week, but uh, it, it definitely is, is something that people should experience once in their lifetime. I'm going to ask the most important question. Do you get fed or do you have to bring in your own lunch? <laughs> they said, they said pre COVID they used to feed the jurors and I don't know why they don't now. Uh, so yeah, I kind of got the short end of the stick. Uh, as far as that goes, but uh, mm. yeah, we were right there by Greeley's little downtown area, and you know, I know Greeley has a certain reputation, but it's a nice little town mm-hmm. uh, when it's not one of those days where you get that waft of the the manure. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah. Well, you know the Greeley saying: "It's not manure; it just smells like money." <laughs> exactly. 
Um, so we brought you here today not to talk about jury duty, though we do appreciate that. That's the best intro we've ever had. Um, <laughs> we want to talk to you about, uh, more importantly, uh, football. Now that the CU football team completed a spring, I guess you could call the showcase. You know, they completed spring camp for the first time since 2019, because I know 2020, uh, you know, that they didn't really get to do anything like this. And I, for one, just appreciate that there was college football to look at um, or, or even hear about from people like you and Brian Howell on front lines every day. Um, and I guess at the end of this, they're, they're finalizing the roster. Um, I think that the last edition of the team was that Max Ray was committed to CU, uh, right tackle from Ohio State. So we want to talk to you because no one knows better than you what the the state of the, the program is, the roster, and coming out of spring football, what to expect um, out of this team in 2021. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, no, I think you, you start with the, the transfer portal. You know, a lot of teams have been utilizing that. We've seen Utah be very active and, and bringing some good guys. But you just look at the number of guys that have left Colorado's program since mm-hmm. the Alamo Bowl and the number of guys that come in. You've really upgraded talent. At a, at a number of spots and they might add one more. It would probably be a cornerback with Tariq okay. Luckett entering the transfer portal. But aside from that, yeah, it looks like this roster is starting to kind of take shape. And this is going to be kind of the, the, the case, I think with off seasons going forward until things settle down a little bit with that one time transfer rule. And, you know, you've seen Carl Durrell, he, he's very active and trying to upgrade the depth. He was visibly very upset after the Alamo bowl. Uh, that was the most upset we've, we'd seen him as a head coach. And it, it was kind of a reality check. And, you know, you don't ever want to have a team like Texas take it to you the way they did. But I, I think it did open some eyes in, in that coaching staff in terms of, okay, we, we have a ways to go to, to get on that level where we can compete in a bowl game against a team like that. So I, I guess that leads into my first question perfectly. If you look at the transfer portal additions this, this offseason by Carl Durrell, I think all of almost all of them are, are from other Power Five programs. Actually, I think all of them are from other Power Five programs, and a lot of them are from historically successful Power Five programs. Jack Lamb coming in from Notre Dame at inside linebacker, Robert Barnes coming in from Oklahoma at uh, also inside linebacker, and then I guess he'll kind of move around. But it, in general, is that something that they they purposely limited themselves to? They only wanted. Um, players from those power five, those successful power five programs, or is that just the way that it worked out? I think it's just kind of the way it worked out. You know, those were all guys that were pretty highly regarded coming out of high school. And you kind of go case by case. You look at a Max Ray. Uh, he started a game for Ohio state last year, did well in that one start, and should be starting would, would pretty much start for 95% of college programs, maybe even higher percentage than that. You talk to folks out at Ohio state that have covered him and they said, look, They've even got Ohio State does a the number one ranked offensive tackle from two cycles ago that ha- is having to play guard right now just because they're so deep at tackle. So it's not a case of Max Ray isn't a really good player. It's just that there's some other really good players that, that are more established in the program mm-hmm. ahead of him. No, no offense is, you know, a backup to a Reming, Remington trophy finalist last year. There's only three of those guys nationally. So th- there's a reason that these different guys were looking for an opportunity to play. And so I think it's just kind of the, the way it worked out, but they, they also did want guys that uh, are, are kind, of, kind of turnkey. They then come in and they can be part of the mix right away to, to cultivate depth. Whereas 
if you take more of a project, you're going to have to develop him like a high school recruit. It's yeah. kind of clear with all these guys they're bringing in. They're guys that can come in and com- compete for a starting job, if not, you know, worst case scenario, probably be a backup at the particular position. So I guess I and it's, it's interesting that you call them turnkey because a lot of them I think are turnkey at least physically. I think they're all extremely physically developed. But with players like Blaine Toll, Jack Lamb, uh, Blaine Toll coming in from Arkansas, and Jack Lamb again from Notre Dame, and and the Tonza Von Gore, I'm sure I butchered that pronunciation from from TCU. No, you got that. You're you're, you're good. Yes. yes. Um, all of them are like you said, highly rated coming out of high school, super power five prospects. Um. Frankly, and so, something that doesn't exist in, in high supply on CU's current roster um, in, in terms of power five offers they're garnering out of high school, but none of them have really shown um, extended minutes on the field for these programs, like you said, for a variety of reasons. You know, Max Ray is playing behind some ridiculous talent. Noah Fenske, same thing. Um, I To me, that that's, signifies a, a, that the transfer portal can kind of balance out some of that talent. But I don't know how quickly those guys can contribute. I, I, have you seen anything, heard anything saying that they are expected right away of um, any of those guys to contribute to the 2021 CU team? And you're, you're well, excluding Robert Barnes here too, right? Robert he Barnes and, of- and to, yeah, to me, Robert Barnes and Max Ray both played for, for those teams. So it makes sense that they're trying to play right away. But some of those other transfers, I guess you didn't see much. So I, I didn't know that they were expected to compete right away, but it sounds like they are. Yeah, I, I think Max Ray is probably we, we did uh, our top 40 buffs countdown voting, which we're going to start reeling those out on, on buffstampede.com. He was the highest on there. Mm-hmm. I think he's the most likely to start. Uh, you saw this spring, just the lack of depth there at offensive tackle, nothing against Jared, Jared Lichtenhan. He's going to be a fine player down the road, but he was going with the first and second team offensive lines at, at tackle. And so it just kind of exposed their, their lack of depth there. And so that mm-hmm. was a huge addition for them. Noah Fenske will, will compete in there. Uh, what, what's nice about Noah Fenske is that he can play center guard or tackle. He played tackle in high school and he played center when he was at Iowa. So he's a guy uh, kind of like we've seen with uh, Keenan Ray a little bit, kind of a Swiss army knife on the offensive line. He might not start to kick off the 2021 season, but again, because he has that versatility, he's a guy that could fill in if he proves to be maybe that, you know, six best offensive lineman during camp, mm-hmm. Robert Barnes, uh, had a really good uh, spring session. He would probably be my number two inside linebacker with John Van Dees being third, assuming that Nate Lamon is going to be ready to go. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I like him to, to probably start. And he's a guy that brings a lot of speed, which again, you noticed late last season was an issue for them at inside linebacker. Atonza Vongar had two guys that were drafted at safety ahead of him at TCU. So again, you kind of break down case by case basis of why these guys weren't playing where they were. He also had a, a torn ACL. His first camp was doing really well during his first camp until he suffered that injury. It said he said, which is pretty natural, that it took him a full calendar year to get healthy again. So mm-hmm. he'll come out and, and, and compete. You really needed some depth there at safety, which he'll bring. Jack Lamb, I don't know what to expect. Yeah. You talk to people out of Notre Dame, and he was a guy that was going to get in the mix for playing time and then got hurt and then had a hard time getting in the mix after that. He was not on campus this spring. So I had a hard time again with this top buffs countdown ranking him just because we haven't seen him. Blaine toll has the benefit coming in as a defensive lineman that that that's an area you're going to rotate a lot of guys. Ideally you'd like to have six to eight guys rotating on the defensive line. So Mm -hmm. he'll probably get on the field if he shows he's ready. 
Um, he, he was kind of thrown back between tight end and defensive end during his time at Arkansas. I was kind of frustrated by that. And that's mm-hmm. a kid from Arkansas that, you know, he, he, he was all about the Razorbacks, but just didn't really like the fit with the, with the coaching staff there. And, and again, not really knowing what his role was going to be in Colorado. They've been pretty definitive about him being a defense alignment. And so I, I would be surprised in JT Shroud, you can't finish a, a discussion about the I, transfers yeah. without talking about him. I mean, we were allowed in for three spring scrimmages and, and his arm talent is really impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question is, do you want to go with the, the dual threat that Brendan Lewis can kind of add that different dimension? Uh, but I think that that competition between JT, Brendan, and Sam Noyer is going to go at least two weeks into camp until they get to the point where they got to start game playing for their opponents and they've got to make a decision there. But I think that's mm-hmm. going to be a really tough call for Danny Langsdorf and Carl Durrell, their quarterback, because he's, he's got, again, really, really strong arm and can make all the throws. The, the question there is, again, do you want a guy that, that can make plays with his leg, legs? That's not going to be really JT Shroud's strength. Yeah, you are. Yeah, that, that was a little teaser for I when I do want to start talking about the quarterback competition. JT Shroud is, a, yeah, another thing where it's a power five, like established program transfer. And I think the reason he transferred out of Tennessee totally makes sense. He's a California guy and that, that program has just been so <laughs> unsteady the last like 10 years. Yeah. So I, I think it totally, I think a lot of these were pretty smart targets with, with um, talent transferring out of the programs they are. And like you said, case by case, makes total sense of the coming to see you um, to compete for playing time. So I, I, I kind of want to zoom out into the overall 2021 recruiting class. If you include those transfers, um, I think a lot of those I, in other years, you might have more instant impact freshmen, but I'm, I'm looking at the overall class and the transfers kind of took that rollover, um, at least for CU this year, if, if I'm looking at it. Um, so looking at the whole thing, I really am not seeing – I think Eric Olson might play right away, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on Eric Olson. I think past that is re- maybe Tristan Oliver, depending on how you count him, would, would get some action. But I'm not seeing a lot of easy opportunities for these for these freshmen to play um, right away. It, it, are you expecting the tr- any freshmen, not including transfers, to, to hit the field this fall? Yeah, Cole Becker, their their kicker. You don't oh. bring a guy in mm. on scholarship <laughs> to uh, you know have him watch from the sideline. But uh, outside of that, I think you're right. I, I really don't see this 2021 class having a huge impact on the field, which is a good problem, right? You, you don't mm-hmm. want to have you want them to to exceed expectations and, and do well. But at the same time, it's it's a good thing when you don't have to thrust these 18, 19 year olds into action right away. And too many times in the last I don't know, 15, 17 yeah. years, they, they've had to do that. Um, I think the transfer portal has helped with that a lot. You can plug gaps and then not rely on these freshmen. Eric Olson was hurt uh, when we were able to see them practice this spring. So don't have a, a strong idea in terms of what his role is going to be. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. I was out at a seven-on-seven tournament in Denver here a couple weeks ago, and he played for Full Gorilla, a seven-on-seven team, and his coach – was telling me he thinks Eric Olson's going to grow into an offensive tackle. He, he just thinks that Ooh. he's got a thick enough frame that he's going to keep putting on weight and is going to be a dominant offensive tackle. I don't know if that's just his theory. I don't, I think for now, you know, they're, they're going to work him at tight end and see if that's a position for him, but he's, he's probably fifth on, on the pecking order there. You got Brady Russell, number one, Matt Lynch, who was placed on scholarship. Number two, mm-hmm. Alec Pell had a pretty good spring. 
He's kind of a forgotten guy. He came in as an as a, I think initially as a line outside linebacker, moved to inside linebacker, moved to tight end last year, mm-hmm. um, and, and had a good spring session. And then Caleb Fourier, I really wanted to rank him in my top forty countdown because he was just so fun to watch this spring. The few times we got an opportunity to go out there, very physical. Mm-hmm. He's kind of the well-rounded tight end that this program has been wanting for a long time, but I think he's just kind of behind, you know, Brady Russell, Matt Lynch have that experience. Pell's been in the program a little bit longer and Caleb Fourier came in with a broken leg last year. And so he wasn't able to practice during the fall, but he's a guy I would think in 2022, 2023 is going to be a really, really good tight end for them. It might just be a year away. So uh, yeah, Eric Olson has a chance. He's got a lot of, a lot of good skills, um, one guy in that 2021 class that I would also keep an eye on is Trevor Woods, a safety yeah, coming in love him, for, yeah. from Texas, just a, a ball hawk and a guy that has that knack for just being in the right spot at the right time. You turn on his junior highlight reel and you just see him pick six, pick six, pick six. It's, it's pretty impressive. And he had quite a career there at uh, Taylor high school in Katy, Texas, all-time leading tackler there. I think they need maybe one more guy at safety. It could be Trustin Oliver, who you mentioned. They need one more guy, I think, at safety, just in terms of depth to make, make you feel good about that position. What about, what about like late breakout type of players, like, say, a Mark Perry, who was somewhat disappointing last year but has a lot of talent? Yeah, that's a good pick. I, I think Mark Perry, people saw him late during his true freshman season in 2019. He was in that star backer role was put out there on third down, pinned his ears back, got a couple sacks, and everybody got really excited because uh, he's a guy that turned down USC late during his recruiting process, broke some track records at his high school at Rancho Cucamonga. But then he moved into a more of a traditional safety role last year. And one thing we heard about Tyson Summers' defense is that it was very complex and difficult for these young guys to really grasp. And so I think he was out there thinking a lot last year. And another year within the system, we've heard Chris Wilson's defensive scheme is going to be more player friendly. Uh, We'll see exactly how that looks on the field in September. But if that's the case, then Mark Perry is a guy because of all the talent he has. And you you guys have seen the track times he's put up in the hundred meter dash. Mm -hmm. So he's a guy that that definitely should take that next jump. You know, it's kind of reminds me of Carson Wells going from his first to second year. Everybody expected this monster jump. It just took a a little while for him. And Mm -hmm. I think that might be the case with Mark Perry. I guess that's a, that's a great intro too, into looking at that defensive scheme because Tyson Summers, as we know, came on strong at the end of 2019. Um, and then I guess I thought he wasn't um, too bad at the, in 2020, but obviously Carl Durrell brings in his um, preferred scheme with Chris Wilson, who's been a 4-3 guy, at least in Mississippi State when he was calling plays. Um, are, are we expecting a, a – another hand in the dirt four three some most of the time or is it going to be kind of that base like maybe three three five or or four two five um or do they even have a base is it more is it kind of just like as needed kind of adjusted yeah you hit it on the the head there at the very end there they're going to be multiple base defense is not what it was 10 15 20 years ago it just you have too many different offenses that you've got to prepare for and go against week to week and so you've got to be more versatile and it's tough because you only have so many hours with these kids each week. You know, it's, that's why I think going to more of a simplistic scheme is really important. Uh, You have to strike that perfect balance though, right? These guys have to be, they they can't be predictable either. Uh, So they can't be too vanilla. So there's kind of a, 
a hard line to walk there. But I mean, I don't know how much they were willing to, to, to let the media into things this spring with those open sessions, but there was time there, there was only two down line. <laughs> and I think that might've had to do with some of the injuries they had on the defensive line. But yeah. my guess is when you have a, a Jalen Sami, a Janaz Jordan guys that are natural nose tackles, you probably want to stick more with the three down scheme. Uh, but you're, you're going to see a lot of variation, even, you know, with Tyson Summers, we even saw on, you know, passing situations on third down, they will put an outside linebacker in the middle of the defensive line. So they're, they're going to probably be pretty creative with it. And if you're spending 2021 trying to figure out what their base defense is, you're probably going to drive yourself <laughs> crazy because there's, there's going to be a lot of looks out there. Mm-hmm. I guess, and looking at the personnel too, um, I, I think there's, there's enough depth in the front seven to do some, some good things. And I really like the, the look of the starters of the secondary. I think Makai Blackman and Christian Gonzalez are pretty well established. And obviously Isaiah Lewis, in my opinion, came out of nowhere to, to really be a good player for CU at the end of last year. Um, I just don't know who's going to play behind them. I know Nigel Bethel is going to get some time, but do you have, do you have any idea on, on where they like guys like maybe Jalen Stryker, who we have not seen really at all that much. Um, and he can kind of play a few positions. I know that they have positional versatility. Do you have any clue where they might end up in 2021? I think Jalen Stryker is probably going to stick at cornerback. You know, they've, yeah. they've toyed with him a little bit at safety, but you're, you bring in Fongar from the transfer portal Trustin Oliver as a JUCO transfer. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, if Trevor Woods is as good as I think he's going to be, then, then you're not quite as worried there. The guy at safety that is really not talked about right now, and it makes sense why he's not, is Chris Miller. Because yeah. he's had injury after injury after injury. But if he's talented, if he's, if he's healthy, he's as talented as any guy in that defensive backs room, maybe outside of Christian Gonzalez, just in terms of, I mean, Christian Gonzalez is probably going to be, uh, you know, top three round draft pick here in a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he's a guy that is kind of a sleeper there. Curtis Appleton, you know, he's placed on scholarship at safety. He's a guy that adds a little bit of depth there. Ray Robinson got moved from inside linebacker to safety and had a pretty, pretty strong spring. Torn Pittman showed a few things as a true freshman last year playing on special teams. So there's a lot of guys that you go, okay, I like what their potential is. We just haven't quite seen it and with Chris Miller being kind of a lead guy there just because of injuries. There's a lot of bodies now in that room that, uh, again, you have a little bit more depth there, but uh, th- there definitely are question marks outside. Cornerback, I-, I agree with you, is pretty set. Makai Blackman and Christian Gonzalez by the end of last season proved to be really good Pac-12 starters. And so Nigel Bethel, he's kind of a magnet for a ball, so you like the depth there. there there's a reason – that Tariq Luck had entered the transfer portal because it was going to be tough for him to get on the field. So mm. you, you really like the top end group, their cornerback and safety. It's going to be really interesting to see how that shakes out during camp. Um, what about if uh, the quarterback battle, like one, either Shrout or uh, Lewis win the job, any chance we see Neuer back at safety? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think Sam Neuer is going to be the best cheerleader in college football. If he doesn't win that starting job, just because, <laughs> He's an awesome dude. It's pretty cool that, you know, he's dealt with a move to safety and and he's been a backup so long and he's continued to be the ultimate teammate for guys. When Brendan Lewis went into the Alamo bowl and had some success, the first guy congratulating him was Sam Neuer. And so you you don't have a lot of super seniors, those those guys that didn't, uh, you know, exhaust their eligibility last year due to to COVID, but he's one of those guys, if he's just a locker room presence, that that's a good thing for your, for your team, because, Again, he, he's so well-liked by everybody. 
would there be like a chance of like having the Cepho type of quarterback draw set where he comes in for short yardage situations if he loses the job? That'd be I think that'd be fun to see. Given that his uh, shoulder was uh, puffing up to his ear, yeah, <laughs> towards the end of last year, <laughs> he, he probably doesn't want to sign up for that role. <laughs> yeah, but you know, Cepho obviously one of the the all-time buffs in terms of just the human being that he is but you oh, know he he has a lot of pain him. pain in his body these days because of you know the pounding that he had to take there in 2016 so uh yeah so i don't i don't think sam Hoyer wants any part of that yeah sam for as much as we bitch about Sefo getting hurt in michigan and that's the reason <laughs> that we the 2016 season wasn't better than it was i don't know if uh, we should be signing up for more of that for uh for sam Neuer, but yeah yeah that didn't he get hurt his ankle on a sack though instead of those running yeah. plays? I mean, he got hurt like a million times during that. I, I, I know, it wasn't just that play. Yeah. yeah, but I, I, I heard I, they're looking for a new Ralphie, so maybe Sam Nor could go there too. <laughs> um, I do. I have a couple questions about the defensive line. Like, I just don't see very much depth. I feel like when when like Mustafa Johnson left, I feel like there was. Uh, do Do you think Naeem Rodman can replace him, or is it going to be? something else probably not in just the playmaking standpoint you know when Mustafa was healthy he was pretty special in that regard especially being you know part of a three-man front you know a lot of times you're just asked to take on blockers in that role and he still found a way if you watched really closely last year I mean Mustafa was taking on double teams I didn't think he was going to necessarily be an early draft pick but I'm surprised he didn't get a little bit more love from the NFL just in terms of an opportunity I think he's got a tryout somewhere but um, anyways, with this defensive line, there, there's a lot of names there outside of Terrence Lang. And we talked about Sami and, and Janaz Jordan. You just need some of those guys to step up. And, and I think Rodman did that this spring. He, he's established himself as a guy that's going to be on the field quite a bit. Beyond that, kind of like safety, where I just rattled off a bunch of names. You've got guys that have shown a little bit here. You know, Justin Jackson was a Juco transfer last year that you've heard his name come up a couple times. Uh, Jeremiah Doss has played some football for CU. Uh, Austin Williams played a little bit two years ago as a true freshman. You bring in Blaine Toll. Uh, Jaden Simon, Lloyd Murray Jr. have now been in the program for a couple of years. We just haven't heard consistently outside of Rodman, who has stepped up since the end of last year, mm-hmm. in terms of really the depth is going to be decided during camp. And I think there's a lot of guys there that I just named that could be part of the rotation. I know Chris Wilson wants a really deep, rotation he said he wants a Chinese army in terms of depth there and and they're so far away from that at least in terms of guys that are proven depth pieces Mm -hmm. Uh, so they might still have to kind of go to a shorter rotation in 2021 unless again some of these guys step off if if Blaine Toll comes in and is ready to go from from the jump that adds another rotation piece right there and then we'll see with these other guys Tyus Martin had back surgery as a 2021 signee I would think that he's probably gonna have to come in and just kind of work his way back into shape Alan Baugh has put out some uh, some tweets on on social media. He looks like he's in great shape coming out from Florida. And Ryan Williams from Texas, who uh, is one of my picks for most underrated in this class, just because Chris Wilson's looking for space eaters in in these defensive linemen, not necessarily guys that are going to put up 10 sacks. And so I think he's a guy that that can develop into a pretty nice piece for them. But again, it's uh, when when you talk about open competitions, that defensive line rotation outside of Lang, Rodman, Jordan, and Sami is is high on that list in terms of it really being open going into camp. Yeah, I wanted to ask a little bit about the signees because I, I 
to me, Chris Wilson's one of the, the most proven recruiters on the staff. I think he's been a good recruiter everywhere he's been, including when he was at CU previously. And I thought it, I was surprised that Alan Vaughn and Ryan Williams were with basically his two guys along with Ty, Ty oh geez, Tyus Martin. There we go. Um, given that both of them really did not have the interest you'd expect from, from a Florida, I believe Alan Baugh played, I don't know if it was IMG Academy, but he plays in a, a big program in Florida and Ryan Williams did this um, also in Texas. Both of them are kind of under the radar. Is that just because Chris Wilson knows what he likes and, and found it in those two guys, or is it a, a sign of striking out as the bigger players in the 2021 class? Well, well, they got those guys early in the cycle. Yeah. Alan well, Ball was actually the, the, the first, first guy. Yeah. yeah. So they wouldn't have taken them if they didn't like them. And then we saw them, there are a couple of guys that were committed to them that they didn't like the development of those guys and they kind of cut them loose before mm-hmm. signing day. And so they, they didn't do that with either of these guys. And so they liked the development there. Yeah. Alan Bob went to St. Thomas Aquinas, That's right. which is where Chandler Durrell, who's on CU staff in the recruiting department, mm. uh, Carl Durrell's son went to high school and Carl Durrell has, you know, coaches that he trusts there. And it was interesting. Alan Ball actually moved to play offensive tackle during his senior year because the team needed him there. And uh, he said he learned more in that year playing offensive tackle than he could have played defensive line because he was like, I know what the offensive lineman's thinking now. I, I kind of <laughs> have that mindset. Um, so I don't know if he's necessarily going to have a huge role right away, but uh, he, he's a, a bigger kid. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, as fans of just, college football and recruiting, you, you turn on highlight tapes and it's that speedy running back that's breaking ankles out there that really attracts you. It's the receiver making the one-handed grab. A defense alignment that's 260 pounds that's taken on two blockers and making an ankle tackle is, does, doesn't jump off the film, but th- there's a role that those guys serve on your defense, especially if you're going with the three-man front. And that's why, again, you kind of asked me about what you think the base defense is going to go going to be going forward i look at the guys they brought in this last recruiting cycle and to me that tells me they're going to stick more with a, a, a three down front just because they're bringing in guys that they can take on blockers and that allows the linebackers to look like studs you know nate landman is a heck of a player but when you've got defense linemen in front of him that are just taking on blockers it sure makes him look even better right mm. yeah i it's and i agree with you i actually really like what Ryan Williams can turn into. I think he is a just like a huge guy. I think like your last update on him, I think he said he was six five, three hundred. Is that correct? I don't Somewhere think he's quite three hundred. I can double check that. Yeah. But he's he's getting up there a little bit. Let's see what did he say? He is uh, two sixty. Two six five two sixty. Yeah. And uh, I mean, to me, yeah. If you're looking for three four defensive ends, they're not going to get stats. But if you can fill your your room with those types of frames early. Um, that's not bad. So even if Ryan Williams didn't have the offers, I feel like that's a really good guy to have in your program for three or four years and let him be that space eater, like you mentioned. So and with Colorado, if you've been paying attention to recruiting here for, for a while, you know, it's usually one of the lowest rated guys in the class that ends up being <laughs> one of the best. It's funny because there's, there've been all these studies done that have proven time after time that a five-star guy is going to have a better chance to start to earn right. all conference, all American honors, get drafted. And it goes down four star, you know, has a much higher percentage than three stars, but for Colorado, for some reason, it, it has not worked out that way. <laughs> oh, really? You don't think you right was a program contributor <laughs> for his four years. Yeah. We were talking about this with the basketball team of like, 
now the basketball team is actually getting these top 100 guys who have really good offers from other places, and they're not just getting kind of like the rejects. Well, the really it, talented yeah. guys who the early offers who didn't develop and then they got pulled. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or like like the the four or five stars who have kind of like head case issues. <laughs> yeah, even the guys that have really worked out in the men's basketball program have had different stories. You know, Alec Burke screw a bunch. Mm-hmm. He wasn't even recruited by the in-state schools. Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, he was a late developer. He looked like he was 10 years old when they first offered him. <laughs> he had such a baby <laughs> face. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, the, the men's basketball recruiting has been pretty impressive. And you talk to these men's basketball signees and they, they all have a good head on their shoulder too. I think one of the things Tad Boyle has learned is that locker room chemistry is really important. And there, there were some teams at CU that were really talented, but you just heard about those issues behind the scenes. And uh, you saw oh, yeah. this past year where they didn't have those issues and, and uh, they played much more cohesive basketball as a result. Who, who was the leading scorer on those teams and how many four-point plays did he have? <laughs> Say that again? <laughs> who was the leading scorer on those teams maybe from 2014 to 2016 and how many four-point <laughs> plays did he have? <laughs> I don't know. You, you, you got to break that down for me. I, I uh, believe kinda, Sam's no. referring to a ski. I'm kind of, yeah, I'm kind <laughs> of, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of blaming ski. Um, ski, uh, ski was a ski was a an original human being. He didn't actually have uh, an apartment. He would just go from couch to couch and hang out with different people. What? He was, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> what? yeah, he got catfished by a girl once. I and did so, know yeah, that. No. I do yeah. remember his yeah. marriage oh, to no. a Kansas woman Sweet that didn't actually exist. Yeah. Yeah. Woo. Yeah, that's a guy. <laughs> So I, that was also that's a great segue too. I it's interesting to me, and I don't know if Rick George set out for this, but I think I see a lot of parallels with what Tad Boyle's doing and what Carl Durrell wants to do in terms of program trajectory. Um, I don't think either of them, for as exciting as I as excited as I was for Mel Tucker, I don't think either of them fit that mold of of a salesman for the program. I think both of them kind of you know beat their own drum, kind of march slowly methodically and that's what i'm seeing are you seeing that as someone who covers both programs do you think they have similarities in, in terms of mentality and what they're trying to do long term with cu in terms of their love for boulder and cu it, it's genuine with both those guys which mm-hmm. you know i think recruits and parents can kind of pick up on that now mel tucker he sold that pretty well and obviously mm-hmm. uh, he, he held that until the middle of the night when he, he bolts town, um, he, he was a pretty good salesman. I think with, with Durrell and Boyle, it's just, it's more genuine. Yeah. Um, Carl Durrell views this as his last job. He's going to do it the way he wants to do it. And I think there was a little bit of an adjustment for him coming back from being in the NFL for so long, just in terms of how much recruiting has changed, how much you've got to have these graphics and you've got to be out there as the voice of the program as much as he had to do before when he was a head coach at UCLA, it just had changed so much. And he's really changed quite a bit, even with the media. Mm-hmm. He's always given really thoughtful answers, but we've really seen this off season that he's taken an appreciation for what we're trying to do and, and cover the program because we're kind of the bridge between the fans and the program. And, you know, I, I've said this many times, if it's not for fans, then, I don't have a job and these coaches don't have a job and these players don't have an opportunity to have a great experience at, at CU. So uh, the more information you, you can put out there for the fans, the better. Obviously you have to keep some stuff in house because uh, you know, 
too much information out there mm-hmm. is a bad thing, but he's really warmed up to that. I mentioned that he let the media in for some of those scrimmages during spring ball. And so it's been pretty impressive. He's kind of self-evaluated some things from, from year one, which was mm-hmm. such a challenging year for everybody, including a coach coming in late and having to do everything virtual. And so I applaud him for kind of making strides in, the, in that area. Tad Boyle should teach a class on how to deal with the media. I mean, he's so good about it. Um, I, I don't even know how he could improve in that area. He's, mm-hmm. he's, you know, somebody that connects really well with, with everybody. Um, so th- there's some similarities there. It's a little bit more natural for Tad just in terms of dealing with the media and fans. But Carl Durrell has definitely tried to improve quite a bit in that area since he's taken over. Mm-hmm. Did you have to warn the Michigan State 247 guy about the all meat and potatoes, no French pastry saying that Mel Tucker <laughs> uh, likes to try it out there a lot? It was interesting. It was, yeah, it was <laughs> all of his press conferences sound like the same thing he said at CU, which Hey, I mean, that's mm-hmm. his, 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 his stick. You know, I, I liked Mel Tucker as a human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he was a guy that he had, uh, you know, lunch with us during the bye week as media members and wanted to get us, get to know us. Um, but yeah, the genuine quality, Carl Jarrell, it might not show itself initially, but mm-hmm. I think there's a lot more depth with him as a human being and as a head coach. Yeah, and I guess it to me it just sounds like yeah, Mel Tucker's a little bit too coached sometimes when he's when he's trying to speak to the media. Um, sounds like yes. offense, defense, yeah. special teams. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, um, I guess this leads me to the last offseason acquisition I wanted to talk about. Might be the most important moving forward. Um, Shannon Turley was hired out of nowhere for for CU. Um, Drew, Drew Wilson, the previous SNC strength and conditioning head coach, was let go. Which I, you know, Adam, you know I, way more than we do too. But I, he was well liked by the players, and obviously, we thought he did a better job than Drew Foreman prior under Mike McIntyre. Um, but when you have a guy, we have a chance to bring in Shannon Turley. That that's a huge upgrade. Um, based off of what you're hearing, what you're seeing, can you speak to a little bit of how he's different than Drew Wilson, or, or what he's improved on? Yeah, Drew Wilson, I thought, did a good job, like you kind yeah. of alluded to there. And when he was fired, when Tyson Summers, who, yeah, they gave up a lot of points the last couple of years, but I liked some of the things that he did. Again, I think it was a little bit too complex for these college athletes where they only have so many hours a week with them. When, when Darrell fired those two guys, it was like, wow, he, he really is mm-hmm. setting a higher standard for this program. And I don't think Mike McIntyre makes those moves. Um <laughs> you know, Dan Hawkins is not making those moves. And so it was kind of a, a sign that things had changed. I don't think Mel Tucker was around long enough to know, you know, how cutthroat he could be with some decisions w- mm-hmm. within that coaching staff. But my favorite thing to do when Colorado hires a Shannon Turley or they get JT Shroud as a transfer is to reach out. Unfortunately on 24 seven sports, we have this great network of guys that, that cover these programs and mm-hmm. you get the most honest assessment from these guys. And it kind of gives you a feel for what that coach or player is going to bring to the table and speaking to RJ Abedia that covers Stanford. I mean, he just said Shannon Turley is, is going to be the biggest hire that Colorado football makes uh, in the last 15, 20 years, because he really did change the program and the culture there at Stanford was on the cutting edge of things mm-hmm. when he was there. And, and some other strength coaches have adopted, adopted some of that stuff. Drew Wilson was not an archaic strength and conditioning coach. It's, 
I don't know if you guys remember when Jeff Pittman was the the strength coach, but that was full on just we're, it's like taking it back to a Rocky movie yeah. back back in the eighties. You know, it was about you know he would have the injured guys with a wheelbarrow pushing around dirt because he was just that old school. Uh, Shannon Turley is on the cutting edge of that, and you see see you put out a mic'd up segment with him and, and just showing him doing stretches and how the attention to detail is there. And a lot of that is just injury prevention. And so you're never going to prevent, you know, certain injuries from happening. It's division one football guys are flying around at a high rate. They're big guys. There's going to be injuries, but I, I expect to see kind of the loose tissue stuff that sometimes has plagued this program, uh, mm-hmm. not necessarily eliminated, but reduced quite a bit by him being in the program. And he had his issue at Stanford, which I'm not going to share on the podcast. Maybe you guys have heard it. It wasn't. Yeah a fireable offense for most programs. It, it just happened to be Stanford. Right. And so I don't think any of that's an issue. And I think he's a guy that can connect with the players and he actually takes pride in helping out with recruiting, which is a huge thing for a strength coach, because obviously those guys are going to spend more time with him than they will the head coach or the assistant coaches. And so, uh, yeah, maybe I'm too positive on this podcast, but Chan Turley <laughs> was, was an A plus hire. You cannot be too positive on this podcast. That's that, there is no limit. So you're all that's, that's totally fine. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Turley was the the best of the offseason moves, I think. Though I also do like when we talk about how he fired Tyson Summers, um, and you had to look at defensive coordinator and also inside linebackers coach. There's a few names thrown out there, um, and kind of a head fake near the end. But for inside linebackers coach, I think Mark Smith was another hire where. Um, at first you're looking at defensive coordinator for the new Long Island Sharks program. And you're like, what? <laughs> but if you dig like a second deeper, and I, I really like the move and I think it's a good, uh, signal for what Carl Durrell is looking at, uh, in the assistant coach. Um, I guess, what, what are your thoughts on Mark Smith so far? Is it, what did you hear about the hiring process? Yeah, it's funny. I was talking about recruits that are lower rated are going to oftentimes be the best players from a class. And, it's like the assistant coaching hires that are lauded by the fan base that everybody's excited about don't mm-hmm. seem to turn out as well as the ones where, you know, Mitch Rodriguez was really criticized and yeah, it's only one year, but you love what you've seen from him as the offensive line coach. And Mark Smith was a guy that the fans weren't super excited about. Again, you mentioned that he was a FCS defense coordinator, but you dig deeper. Like you said, he was a recruiting coordinator at Arkansas defensive backs coach there. And he's got, so many ties to the state of Texas with recruiting that that's going to help this program going forward. And uh, we have yet to meet these new assistant coaches face to face. But when he hops on a zoom, you can just tell the passion and, and energy is there. Mm-hmm. And so they had I'm blanking on the name. Now he's a, he was reported by somebody at ESPN. I think Adam Rittenberg that had taken the job and that was never the case that that guy had interviewed for the job. I'm blanking on his name now, but Mark Smith was somebody that Joe Bowden, interviewed. I think that guy. Say it again. Joe Bowden, I believe. He's a, you're right. You're right. Yeah. 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 Uh, Mark Smith actually interviewed for a job a year previous when Carl Durrell took over and th- it just wasn't the right fit at that time. And so he, uh, yeah, he went out to, to New York, ate, ate a bunch of good pizza, according to him. And now he's uh, on staff. And uh, I, I do like the energy there. Again, you know, we're talking here late springtime and everything's rosy and if they go out right. there and, and start up the season one and four, then maybe we're talking a little <laughs> bit differently in, in, in late September. But uh, I, I do like that the hire just based on his energy and those ties that he has specifically to Texas high schools. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what I was looking at, too. It's just, man, if you can get inroads into Texas, I know Chivarini has did wonders down there in 2017 and here's first hired. So any more in there, I mean, it's just that's CU football's long term bread and butter is California, Texas, Colorado. So, yeah, I, I always like seeing that. I've had am, many, uh, many different coaches at Colorado tell me if we could just spend all day, every day recruiting Texas. Uh, that's where that's where you really find the talent. And, and this coach was really frustrated by the fact that they he, he had Colorado as a territory that he had to go recruit. He's like, why am I wasting my time in Durango when I could be out? You know, no offense to the the uh, Bates kid that just got the offer. He, he looks like a good player, but mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? It's just yeah, that's that's California's good. California's good, but Texas is where I would spend the most of my time recruiting if I was the coach at, at CU. Mm-hmm. Because that that was also like historically their power base in the McCart, uh, you know, in the '90s and early 2000s. Well, Alfred Williams, Canavis McGee, right yeah. there, boom. Yeah, that, there's your proof of concept. Isn't Chris Brown from Texas? The running back? Yeah, I don't know. Actually, originally junior college, and then Northwestern is all I know. Um, well, Adam, I only have a few questions, and they're kind of overarching season prediction questions. Left. Yeah, I'm looking. You just said CU starts one and four. I'm uh, looking at the schedule. Uh, so, yeah, exactly not right. Be fun. <laughs> Great segue. Adam's a consummate professional. Um, and if we look at the over-under, it's just the first lines came out this past week from some sports books, and CU's over-under at the win total is four and a half. Um, so as a professional, are we in for another five and seven season, Adam? Well, first off, they're moving up in the world because uh, with that seven game, season last year their over under was one and a half and so <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't uh, know if it would be over under it was hard to decide that's geez. wild yeah it's it's a brutal schedule that is mm-hmm. in front of them here mm. and uh unc come into boulder that'll be nice at least you get that one and oh start hopefully hopefully um, and, <laughs> and mccaffrey has some magic yeah but, i was there in when they lost to Sacramento State, so I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I grew up in Phoenix, and when the schedule came out, I just I, I cringed when I saw the bus are going down there in late September. It's still going to yeah. be borderline 100 degrees down there, and oh man, like I moved I moved away from there for a reason. I didn't want to <laughs> deal with that that heat anymore. I've even told friends that I still have back there that I'm not going to visit you between. <laughs> uh, April in, in September, really, because it's it just, I don't know. Some people love that that heat, but it, it's a tough road. Texas A&M, you almost put that in pencil a, a, as a loss. Yep. Uh, Minnesota's an interesting program. They, they did so well a couple of years ago. Last year, they were they really struggled quite a bit. So you, you somehow need to find at least two wins somewhere in there. And again, mm-hmm. if we're breaking down their schedule last year, even the abbreviated schedule, once the Pac-12 came back out and said, hey, we're going to play a season, you wouldn't have probably said they're going to beat UCLA. There are certain games that mm-hmm. Stanford, you know, that you probably would have put that down as a loss as well. So you got to give uh, Carl Drill uh, some credit for last year exceeding expectations. All of us that follow the program closely know that there's an asterisk there with their 4-2 and two season. You know, had they played USC, Arizona State, maybe it would have looked a little bit differently in terms of their final record. But you can only play who they put in front of you. And uh, unfortunately, this year, the, the teams that are going to be put in front of them are really good. You've still never beaten USC. If you can somehow get out of that early season stretch, I don't know, 2-4, and four, and then kind yeah. of rally mm-hmm. that second half of the season, 
uh, I think the six wins has got to be the goal. And uh, if you're yep. expecting more than that, given how this is still a building situation that Carl Durrell has taken on and, and given how difficult the schedule is, I think anything beyond that is kind of unrealistic, but mm-hmm. uh, again, last year they exceeded our expectations. Can, can they do it again? We'll see. I see, I see three wins so far. schedule. <laughs> Northern okay. Colorado, Arizona, Oregon State, all at home. Otherwise, Oregon State, I, man, that program, they're, they're looking like that. I know, but that, that would be the third. That's, yeah, it's, it's a tough schedule. The all of thing, their home games are otherwise are like Washington, USC, Minnesota. Those are very tough. Washington's different, not under Chris Peterson. I'm, I'm not as worried now, um, and they have a lot of questions too. Though it's interesting you see anything. I just saw Oregon State, I believe, is homecoming weekend, and I just got acid flashbacks to, to 2018 Oregon State at home for homecoming weekend. For Brian Powell and I completely jinxed CU in that game. We were talking <laughs> pregame in the press box about what bowl game we were going to get to cover that year. It was a foregone <laughs> conclusion. They were 5-0, and and, yeah, that was uh, memorable for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> I just remember that Trayvon McMillan run, I think, was the first. It was a touchdown. It was like the first play in the second half. I just thought, in the bag, it's done. No. <laughs> uh, I, was a, I was in Morocco at the time, and I was like, it was really late, and I was just checking the scores. And uh, eventually, I saw that we were up like 31 to 3 or something at half. I was like, ah, okay, I don't really have to check anymore. And then at the very end, I saw we were up by like well, 6. We, yeah, we don't have to worry anymore. We, we don't have to worry about that anymore. Extra point. God, that was so bad. Yeah, I wouldn't ever look at that ESPN probability of a win percentage anymore. They were 99.8% on that. Oh, God. (sighs) Well, it's a new game. It's Carl Durrell, not Mike McIntyre. So hopefully, hopefully the demons are gone. Um, uh, Yeah, it's going to be a hard year. The thing that really makes me mad, too, is that Minnesota somehow, I think, brought back both Tanner Morgan and Muhammad Ibrahim in in the backfield, which completely swung that game for me. I thought if they're having a new quarterback running back, it'd be, it'd be way, I'd be way more confident coming into Boulder, but those are two guys that are just solid. You know, they know, you know, they're going to be pretty okay. Um, my other question, which feeds into the first one is if you had to put, it's going to be a three, three way quarterback race. Ralph report has a, a heart favorite. Our, our, the people we want to win is Brandon Lewis. We want Brandon Lewis to win the job. Um, is there a person you want to win? And is that different than the person you think will win the job? I'm always a sucker for the dual threat quarterback because I just think it adds a different dimension. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I think back to when C was playing Kansas, when Todd Reesing was there and you'd have everything, <laughs> you'd have everything contained and that guy, just, things break down and it just takes off for 25 yards. It's so demoralizing for a defense uh, mm-hmm. when, when that happens. And so, an aesthetic standpoint of it's fun to watch that guy that they can get out there and run. And, you know, the spring game, it's funny. He mentioned, Hey, you know, those, those wouldn't have been sacks in a real game. Cause he's pretty well put together kid and he can, he can fight through contact. And so I like that about him a lot. JT Stroud's arm talent is really impressive and that's fun to watch as well. Uh, but yeah, I would probably go Brendan Lewis just because of that dual threat ability and, uh, Sam Neuer, if he had a couple years of eligibility left, maybe it would be a little bit different. But you talk about the schedule that is so daunting that they're facing. You, you want to build for the future here. And you want a guy in there that's going to be the starting quarterback for multiple years. And that's what's working against Sam Neuer in terms of that competition. 
Uh, but if it's not close, if Sam Norris is clearly the best guy, you know, he played with that shoulder injury pretty much mm-hmm. all of last season, aside from the, the first half of that UCLA game. And so if there's a, a clear divide there, then I, you, you probably have to go with Sam Norris just because you, you kind of lose a locker room when it's clear there's a guy that's the best at a position and you're not going to roll with him. Uh, but I don't necessarily expect that to be the case. I think Brennan Lewis has got that it factor. He's a guy that's going to probably look even better in a game than he does in practice. Cephal Lufa was kind of like that, a, a guy that you'd go out there and, and question, yeah. is Jordan Gerke going to beat out Cepho? Because <laughs> their, their practice is that he looked better, but Cepho had that inner desire, that just that determination, and he was a guy that got better after he got hit in the game. And I think Brennan Lewis might have a little bit of that in him if you just kind of look at his pedigree coming from Melissa, Texas, where he had such a great high school career, and then you throw him out there against Texas in the Alamo Bowl, and, and he showed – quite a bit in that limited sample size. So I would go with him. Okay. Yeah. I have music to our ears. That's, that's who we want is, and I'm glad that there's other uh, people who, who also want Lewis. Just for the how likes. do you, how do you see the running back competition shaking out? Well, you're not going to ask Jarek Broussard to right. carry the load that he did last year. Mm-hmm. I think he was averaging about 25 carries per game. And so I, I think, you, yeah, you probably see him more around 18 because Alex Fontenot, the, the biggest criticism I had of him was, I don't know if this young man is as passionate as he needs to be as a running back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because of the breakout season that Jarek Broussard had, it, it lit, a, lit a fire under him this spring. Again, those open scrimmages we were allowed to go into, he was carrying bodies on some of those runs where we just really hadn't seen a lot of that from Alex Fontenot. So he's a guy. And then you know, a shot Clayton's going to get out there and play as well. And he's going to demand carries. He's gotten quite a bit better as he's learned just the responsibilities of being a running back at this level. And then uh, Jaylee stacks is one of my favorite football players in this entire team. And I can't wait to see him uh, carry some bodies out there as well, because he, he is, a, he's a thick kid out there. All we right. Need, we need a Lendell white homegrown. <laughs> I, I, from this, I'm hearing that Jaylee Sachs is number one on your top 40 countdown. Is that right, Adam? <laughs> he actually he, he made he made my list for a guy that's probably not going to be out there a ton. He'll be out there in short yard situations, but no, uh, he's got a chance to <laughs> work 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 his way up that list quite a bit. So I, my final question, and this is going to be all encompassing. We talked a lot about the defense, um, who had that has some. Depth questions, some personnel questions. We, we went through some of that. I think we, we touched less so on the offense because I think it's a little more established outside of the quarterback position, um, especially at the wide receivers. I think we kind of know that Brendan Rice, Chenault, and Demetri Stanley are all the main characters and obviously Brady Russell at tight end. Um, looking over the roster, is there a guy that maybe we haven't talked about on, on this hour or that isn't being talked about much that you're saying is going to play, you know, hold on, he's going to play more than you think he's going to or, you know, He's going to be more important than you think he is. Um, and this team. is that player Yashka Gustav? <laughs> it could be. Yeah, Yashka Gustav. Well, sometimes we fall into fall into this trap uh, as writers, as fans of, okay, they're going to get this much better every year, and yeah. there's kind of going to kind of be this linear progression. And some guys just don't. They, you know, they they kind of plateau, or you don't think they're ever going to play. And then, like an Isaiah Lewis last year, he comes out of nowhere and is one of your best defensive players. Joshua Gustav, though, has had that linear progression. It's like every day, kind of that cliche, what, what do they call it? Get 5% better or 1% better every day. Yeah. He, he has been that guy. And you liked what he saw last year. And 
he got quite a bit of reps out there this spring. So he could potentially be that guy. I'd have to look up and down the roster. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'm going to throw out another name. Montana Lamonius Craig at receiver. Hell yeah. He's a Best guy name that on think, the roster. Yes, yes. <laughs> He's kind of developed into a safety blanket pretty quick in his time at Boulder. He's a guy that the quarterbacks really trust when things are breaking down. If I get it in his general direction, that's a guy that can make a catch. And so I think he's a guy I had him pretty high on my top buffs countdown. And I think I'm probably going to be the highest on him uh, of everybody that votes on that. And so mm-hmm. he's a guy that again, kind of, I don't know, not quite as much as Caleb for who I think it really will be 2022 until you see him make a big impact. Lamonius Craig is a guy that I think you're going to see gradually get a little bit better every year and be a guy that maybe uh, has some fans that are, that are casual CU fans reaching for the roster this year on a big third down catch that maybe he'll make out there. I like both those names. Joshka Gustav is like the most German name of all time, which is awesome. And then we got the Montana Lamonius Craig. Um, so yeah, thank you for, for picking those two. Um, I think I, I lie. I, I will have one final question, but first I want to say thank you so much for your time, Adam. Um, and for everyone listening, Adam Mosa Tiger obviously runs Buff Stampede, which is a 247 arm of Colorado reporting. Um, and I've been a member forever. Uh, and Inside the Herd is, is the forum there. Always great insights and, and conversation going on. Um, ahead of a busy recruiting June after a weird dead period, everyone should absolutely go um, subscribe and, and, and get some Adam's reporting because there's going to be a lot happening in, in the upcoming summer. So thank you so much for your time. Of course. Yeah, I, I would be surprised if Colorado's 2022 class isn't almost wrapped up in terms of verbal commitments by the time camp opens. So mm-hmm. it's, it's crazy how accelerated the process has gotten. And uh, it should be a fun month of June. Sam and, and Jack, it was great uh, chatting with you. Yeah. But, uh, well, it, go ahead. We'll have to have you, we'll have to have you on for um, like to wrap up the 2022 class and for basketball because <laughs> I'm here for basketball questions. I've got a bunch for you. Okay. We have so many roster questions. Yeah. I'm trying not to ask any because I know that'll be just another hour and we got to <laughs> wrap we gotta, up. Yeah, we got to spread out our Adam time. Uh, my final question is short. At least I hope so. Um, what is, who's your one guy over all your years covering CU that, that you were right on or when you saw him as a recruit, you're like, that guy's going to be better than people think. And it actually panned out. Um, Wait, let me, let me answer this real quick for Adam. Adam was just, cackling on press row every time LaVisca Chenault was in, was in the field. <laughs> and he was just shaking his head every time they would just not throw it to LaVisca. Okay. There, there was even plays where he didn't make it, but he would like prevent an interception because he was just so naturally gifted this LaVisca Chenault. But yeah, I guess you can, you have to learn the playbook. That, that's kind of an important part of it, but I always thought <laughs> your job as a coach is to make sure he gets that down, you know? Yeah. Uh, the one guy I'll never forget, it happened during the Super Bowl, the helmet catch with, with the Patriots and Giants. David Tyree. David Tyree. Yeah. yeah. I was watching the Super Bowl at a friend's house and I got a call from a source in the recruiting department at CU. And it was, they, they had just had some recruits on campus for official visits. It was the Sunday before the, the regular signing period. It used to always be that first Wednesday in February when you'd sign everybody before the early signing period came in. And they said, we, we got a commitment from this running back named Rodney Stewart out of Ohio. Oh. We learned about him through Doug Rippey, who is his cousin. And they said, you, you, is there any way 
we can convince you not to report on anything until signing day because we we really want to get Daryl Scott on board too. And we've already got Ray Polk, a four-star commit at running back on board. And we think if Daryl Scott knows that we're bringing in a third running back, that maybe that'll spook Daryl Scott and he'll sign with Texas. Is there any way you can sit on this? And I went home and turned on Rodney Stewart's senior huddle film, or I don't even know if it was huddle back then. There was Maybe it was on YouTube. And I was like, holy crap, <laughs> this kid is electric. And usually fans gripe when they are surprised by somebody, especially when they're a two-star guy coming out of high school. But on that signing day, when it was finally out there that Rodney Stewart was going to be a buff, CU fans were all watching the same video that I saw. And it was pretty clear who the most underrated guy in that class was. And so mm-hmm. that's one where it, it was just, I know he had an ACL injury his junior year but he had a full senior season of, of highlights and I have no idea why schools weren't recruiting that kid more heavily than they were. And then it was a week into preseason camp in 2008 and he was already their best back. So that's one that, that I'll always remember just in terms of seeing his film for the first time and going, this, this is a no brainer. And I see why CU wants to keep it quiet. Yeah, that's, that's a good, that's like the best answer. Yeah. Ronnie Stewart is the ultimate, uh, I can't believe no one else got this guy. Guy, yeah. Um, and God, that roster again. sucked so bad. He deserved <laughs> to win more than one game this senior year. <laughs> yeah, that's a better answer than mine too. The one I I kept going back to is I I loved Nick Fisher coming out of high school and the Mike that first I think second Mike McIntyre class maybe third, but I I just thought he was super fun to watch. Um, and I thought he had nice quickness. And then the you know it took him a long time, but that. Just I felt so vindicated that Washington State game when Afalabi Laguda got ejected and Nick Fisher like saved the game twice, I think, when, when Luke Falk came to came to Boulder. And I just thought finally it took four years, but I'm I'm here. <laughs> yeah, he was the Pac-12 defense player of the week for, for that performance. And during the, the the whole shutdown last spring when I was really scrambling for content, I did a, a story catching up with Nick Fisher, and it's cool that he still lives in the Denver area. So you see a lot of these guys that Mm -hmm. stick around Colorado after graduation and he's one of them. So it's a good story for sure. Our, our homie, Alex Kelly is a teacher in Boulder. Still (laughs) love that guy so much. He is a unique individual. (laughs) Gotta love Alex. Kelly. (laughs) I believe he's also now the Colorado weightlifting champion in certain lifts. I don't remember exactly, (laughs) but yeah, he's still going hard. And scored the first touchdown in 2016. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) well adam thank you so much for your time um like i mentioned it's going to be a busy june for you and a busy june for cu so everyone if you want to find out what's happening please go to buffstampede.com and uh and learn from the best and and thank you for coming on adam of course guys it was fun fun uh chatting with you yeah Uh, and that was it for me sam anything else really quick before we end all right i'm good i'm done (laughs) then we're done Buffs! Buffs!